You are listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is the last part of the series called Emmanuel, God with us. Today's message given on December 31st, 2017 is titled Come and Worship. Well, at the Christmas season, we have been looking at some of the aspects of it. In fact, we've been calling uh, these series of messages, and each one does stand on its own. We've been calling it Emmanuel, God with us, because that's exactly what the name Emmanuel means. The true miracle of Christmas is the fact that God came in human form. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, took on flesh was born as a little baby, lived a perfect life for a number of years, never once sinned, and then he died a gruesome death. But the reason why was so that he could take the punishment for the sins that we all have committed. I've sinned, you've sinned, everyone has sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is the remedy for sin, and everyone needs that because As hard as we try to get right on our own with God, we cannot do it. We need another. We need a mediator. We need a savior. And so that is the true miracle of Christmas, the fact that God came and lived on the earth and then went to the cross and then died and was resurrected, which said that the sacrifice was complete. And that allows us to re-enter into a relationship with God. That is truly a miracle. And so, you know, and we've been looking at some of the songs of Christmas. Uh, This week, you know, listen, there are some memorable songs that we sing, and some of them are, quite frankly, better than others. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, Grandma getting run over by the reindeer. I don't know, you know, just, you know, just push that one on the side and we'll hear it again next year. And uh, then there are some songs that probably, on the surface, they sound like they're great, and there's nothing wrong with this song, but it actually has perpetuated a lot of wrong information, okay? And the song we're thinking about today is, We Three Kings, right? Okay, now, um, we are going to look today at the, what actually happened, because, you know, uh, newsflash, there probably weren't three, and they weren't actually kings, okay? But that's not really the important part of it. We wanted to go to the Bible and take a look at this account of the Magi, okay? So would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to take a look, and we're going to see what really happened, but then more importantly, not just what happened, but how that affects us and the way we can respond to Jesus. There's some great stuff in here, and I trust that you'll be touched by it. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him, okay? Now, one of the things, and, you know, this is sentiment. How many of you have a little manger scene, you know, right? We we have one, right? Okay, and, you know, you got the baby Jesus, and you got Mary and Joseph, and you got the animals and the shepherds, and don't they always put, like, the three kings in the manger scene, right? Okay, well, this actually didn't happen when Jesus was still in the manger, okay? This was probably about two years later, 
They were still in Bethlehem, but they, you know, thankfully got out of the manger. And now they're living in a home when these men came. And, um, you know, so it was probably about two years and they were wise men. They weren't kings. The term in Greek that's actually used is magi. Okay, they probably were people who perhaps maybe even were descendants of, remember the great Babylonian emperor and Nebuchadnezzar and the Medes and the Persians and all that? It's possible because, you know, back in the book of Daniel, there was the wise men and the astrologers and the learned people and the people that would try to figure out and interpret dreams. It's possible, we're not sure, but it's possible that they could have even been descendants of these people. But anyway, the point is, is that they have come to worship Jesus, okay? And they're on a quest. They're trying to find where is he? And it's interesting because this account is only in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not in Mark, Luke, or John. And um, Matthew's Gospel portrays Jesus as a Messiah for the nations, not just for the Jews, Okay, because these people who have come were not Jews. These worshipers were court magicians or astrologers or wise men. They were not from Israel, but they were from the east. And as I said, probably from Babylon. And quite frankly, they were unclean Gentiles. But yet, even early on, God shows that Jesus offers salvation to all kinds of people. Nobody is left out. That is great news. In fact, God seeks all kinds of people to become worshipers of him. Okay? We all have very different backgrounds as we look around the room here today. Um, And yet God has pulled us together today in this place to worship God. And that is just amazing. So let's go on and read starting in verse 3, continuing in verse 3. Now, When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, you know, you've probably heard of Herod, you know, he was, you know, kind of this crazy king. He actually was very vindictive. If if he suspected anyone of treason, you know, he would just off with their head or however they did it in those days. He just was, you know, if you were disloyal to Herod or he suspected you of disloyalty, that was it. There was no second chances. And he was pretty crazy. And Here's the thing. He's troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, well, why would he be troubled? Well, if some smart people come to you and say, "Um, excuse me, where's the new king? And you're the old king. What does that mean? Okay, (laughs) so this is not good news to Herod. Okay, and so what he did in verse 4, he says, and he assembled all the chief priests and scribe of the people, and this was of the Jews of the time, and he assembled them, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Because, you know, this person say, where's the king of the Jews? And he's like, wait, I'm the king of the Jews. And so who would know, perhaps, where it is? So he goes to the religious leaders of the day and says, Tell me, you know, these men came, want to know where he's going to be born. Tell me, where is he? And so they actually, in verse 5, they told him, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And uh, this is a verse from Micah, the prophet. We actually read it last week, but it's repeated here. It says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. 
So now, all of a sudden, Herod knows, okay, it's going to be in Bethlehem. Okay, now, a little geography. Bethlehem and Judea are just about six miles apart. So, you know, it's not that far. You know, it'd be like going over to Jim's house from here. Probably it's about six miles, right? More or less, you know. You know, we, we have a car today, which means... Yeah, he'd rather not walk. And quite frankly, you know, these wise men, just, just so you realize, they've been traveling for quite a long time. If they did come from Babylon, it's probably about 800 miles away. And on a good day, and, uh, and they came with a whole entourage, by the way. It wasn't just, you know, three guys in suitcases. You know, no, they had a whole, they had all their peeps with them. And they're traveling together. And so they could probably do on a good day, maybe about, 20 miles, right, you know? And so you do the math, it's, they're probably out at least 40 days, something like that. So this, is, this was a big journey, and it's actually good news to them that they got close, and they're only about six miles away. So what happens next, okay? So, um, so the prophecy goes on, and they're, they're told that, oh, before we go on, I'd like to look at this. The, the wise men actually met Two kinds of people. They, they sort of indirectly met the second kind, but they met Herod directly. Okay, this first type of people that we encounter in this story, we're going to call them the indifferent. The indifferent, okay? And think with me for a second. The chief priests and the scribes. Listen, if you are a Jew and the king of the Jews is going to be born six miles away from where you are, wouldn't that, like, excite you? Wouldn't that be like, wow, I got to go check this out. I got to see this. They gave the news to Herod, but we are not told at all that they went to see Jesus. You see, these are the ones who should know better. But they were indifferent. It's kind of like, meh, whatever, okay? They had knowledge, but they did not want to go worship the true God. So that's one group of people. And today, we, that's one group of people, right? Many of you know, you talk to people and, you know, you just tell them about what Jesus has done in your life and they're kind of like indifferent towards it. We still meet people like that today. The other group of people was primarily the one person who they met, Herod. We, we'll call him the threatened, okay? And of course, as I said before, Herod was troubled because if Jesus was king, then Herod would be replaced and he was afraid. And he actually, we're going to hear one of his lies. He lies to the wise men. And then if you go on and read beyond what we're going to read today, you'll actually find out that he schemed and he even committed mass murder trying to get rid of Jesus. So just keep those two groups of people in mind, the indifferent and the threatened, okay? And those type of people are still here today. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 7 and see what happens. So Um, Herod got the information, and now he says, now Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Okay, right there, there's the lie. Herod doesn't want to worship Jesus. He has a plan to exterminate him, okay? And even today, two kinds of opposition come against Christ and his worshipers, indifference and hostility. 
However, there's a third response, and that's the response that I want us to look at today. And that's the response of the wise men to this news. Take take a look in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. You see, God was supernaturally directing them by the star to worship Jesus. Now, you know, people have tried to figure this out. They've tried to say, oh, maybe there was a supernova or there was this astronomical event that occurred. Listen, bottom line is the birth of Jesus is a miracle. And the fact that these wise men were directed by a star was a miracle. And the miracle really is that God seeks all kinds of people to become worshipers. And he may use crazy ways to get us from serving ourselves and worshiping things less than God and turned around to loving God and worshiping him. And he did this supernaturally. I mean, I don't know how he made a star appear like that, but I believe it happened. And so God uses miraculous things to get people to become worshipers. Okay, so let's continue. Verse 10. And when, oh, and and just let me stop here. There are three things that we're going to look at here, and this is where we're going to kind of settle in. Remember I said it's not just that, oh, we three kings, you know, and uh, nice song, but what does it mean for us today? So here here we're going to look at the three things. When they saw the star, the first thing is they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they And here's the second thing. They fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, the third thing is they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's that's how people feel that they got the three kings because three gifts were mentioned there, you know. Um, But listen, if I gave, you know, Anne three gifts, there's only one of me. You know, that doesn't mean that if she gets three gifts, three different people gave her gifts. And so, you know, that's just a little aside there. And look at their response then. And this is interesting too, because in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, when they were done worshiping, they departed to their own country by another way. So you see, they didn't fall into Herod's trap, did they? You know, Herod wanted to get the, the, the lowdown on where Jesus was but they didn't fall into the trap. They worshiped him, and then they didn't go back to Herod to tell him where it was. Okay, so listen, a couple of things. First of all, it's unlikely that the Magi fully understood Jesus and all that he was. You know, it's possible they had some exposure through you know, Daniel, when he was in Babylon, and they had some exposure to the Hebrew Bible, which was in existence at the time. It's possible that they had some exposure, but it's probably unlikely because they were not raised in the Jewish culture. They did not understand fully who Jesus was. And they certainly didn't know the gospel because Jesus was just coming in to the world right there as a, as a, uh, as a man. And, you know, Yet, it's interesting because rather than being indifferent or hostile, they had the best 
response to Jesus. And what was their response to Jesus? Worship. Worship. That's the response. Okay, so let's take a look at those three aspects of true worship that we just looked at in these verses. The first one is they rejoiced with great joy. I love worshiping God. You know that. And I so enjoy when we come together and we do it with others. That is so key. You know, you can worship on your own. You should worship on your own. But it's important that we do it with joy. You know, I'm I'm glad you picked the song that we just sang. You know, may I never lose the wonder. Oh, the wonder of his mercy. Because there are some times when I'm just in the car and I'll just start singing that to myself. Because isn't it true we sometimes lose the wonder if we're honest? Yeah, of course, of course. And so that, when we realize what Jesus has done for us, that then brings us to the point of joy because it is just wonderful what he did. And the fact that I don't deserve forgiveness and yet Jesus still forgave me of my sins. That is like amazing. That's the best news ever. And what joy that comes. And so that is key. That's a key aspect to worship, rejoicing with great joy. Okay, the second thing that they did was they fell down and worshiped him. Okay, now there are different words that are translated worship in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's interesting because the word that's translated worship here is not the one that's usually used. Okay, the word that's used here is called pipto, and it essentially means to descend from a higher place to a lower place. To descend, to go from a higher place to a lower place. Now, of course, if I bow down, I am physically going from a higher place to a lower place. But, you know, and and that was the custom in those days, too. You know, people would bow before other people as a sign of respect. But I think that is actually something that we really need to consider. Because when we come into the presence of God, that should resize us, okay? We should realize that we are not the center of the universe. We should be resized and go from a a self-centered mindset, a higher place, to a lower place and realizing that God is so merciful. God is so huge. God is so generous. God is so awesome that that's just a natural thing. Another word that is used many times in the New Testament in Greek is proskunio. And proskunio means to bow towards, to bow down. And that's what we usually hear. But it's interesting how there's this other term here, the idea of descending from a higher place to another place. And I would hope that in this new year, we would get to the right place with God, wherever that needs to be. I'm guessing for some of us, you know, some of us maybe we need to elevate our view of God, but I think some of us also, we need to lower our view of ourselves so that we can see God as he truly is. Okay, so that's, that. not only did they rejoice with great joy, they fell down and they worshiped, but they also offered gifts and treasures. Now, let, let's talk about this for a minute. Because 
gifts and treasures is always a touchy subject. Now, one of the things, listen, does God need anything? Nope. God's not like, you know, wow, I, I could really use another five here. Could you spare some? No. You know, God does not need anything. And in fact, it would dishonor a monarch if foreign visitors were to come in with care packages. That would be very insulting, especially in that culture. So how are these gifts of the Magi worship? John Piper, who, someone who's an author and a former pastor, I love to you know, read his stuff. He said this. I really like what he said here. He says, these gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ. Isn't that a great word? These gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ. When you give a gift like this, it's a way of saying, I have not come to you for your things, but for you. And this desire I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not so much the things. By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. I think that's what it means to worship God with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Isn't that great? You see, the giving of the gifts is not so much for the recipient of the gifts But what it does is it calibrates our heart. As many of you know, I used to be an engineer. And one of the things that we always had in engineering is we would have test equipment. It was so important that if you had a voltmeter, that if you stuck it on a circuit and it said 5.1 volts, okay, if that circuit was running at 10 volts, you would blow out all the components on it. It was so important that the equipment that you use was properly calibrated to reflect the reality of the situation. I think that's what happens here. The wise men were saying, listen, have this stuff, have this stuff. It recalibrated them. It brought them from a higher place to a lower. And ultimately, when we give other people and God these gifts, it's showing that, you know, you are my treasure, not these gifts, not these things. And so it sort of recalibrates our hearts. Okay? Now, it's also interesting because these gifts were likely used to providentially support Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in the next days because what happened if you go on and read? Where'd they have to go? Egypt, right? Because Herod, you know, he, he, he sent these guys to Bethlehem. They didn't come back. And Herod blew up and he says, well, I know it's been two years since this thing happened. I'm going to kill all the babies under the age of two because he wanted to eliminate Jesus. He didn't know which one was Jesus, but he just figured, I'll kill all the babies. And Mary and Joseph, of course, were warned to go to Egypt to flee this so that Jesus would be preserved and then he could come back and, you know, and could fulfill his purpose and his ministry. Okay, so in order to go to Egypt, 
you know, they had to up and move. That was going to, you know, cost something. And so some people actually feel that although God doesn't need stuff, that gifts providentially allowed them to do that. And quite frankly, isn't that the way things still work today? Absolutely. Absolutely. God causes generosity to overflow in the hearts of his people so that his purposes can be done and they can be accomplished as one person as they're led to give to another to do something and God accomplishes his purpose. So God still does that today. So God seeks all kinds of people to become worshipers. Now, I don't know what your story is or your path on how you came to be a worshiper. Um, I don't want to embarrass this person, but there's someone here today that I just want to say hi to. Um, Phil, just wait, just wave your hand around. Say hi, Phil, everyone. Hi, Phil. Okay. When I was um, 14, and you've heard this story, but you didn't know who the person was. When I was 14, Phil asked me a question. Phil was kind of a, um, you were a shop teacher at the time, right? Industrial arts, I think. Yeah, for a while. And you were working with the youth group at our church, kind of. And um, this was a church that I grew up in, and I never heard the gospel. You know, I mean, maybe it was there, but I I never heard it. But I think a lot of other people didn't hear it. And they had this weekend where they brought a bunch of people in from the outside to share and to talk about Jesus to the congregation. And they, you know, so they kind of broke people up in groups and they sent all the teens up to one room. And I don't know how this came about, but I'll never forget what you asked me that day. You said, you looked at me and said, Bob, do you know Jesus? And I said, well, I know about Jesus. He says, no, that's not the question I asked you. I said, do you know Jesus? And I said, how can you know Jesus? And you shared with me the simple truth of the gospel right there. And that night, I was like, I felt a little duped because I'm like, how come I never heard this before? Maybe I wasn't listening, but there were about 20 other people that kind of got to the same point. So um, anyway, I trusted in Jesus that night. And that was the start of me becoming a worshiper. And I'm so grateful that you did that for me, Phil, because that was like the best thing that anyone could have ever done for me. And, um, you know, each one of us, we can do that to somebody else. Every one of us knows someone that does not know Jesus. In fact, there might even be some people here today who you're like, well, I know about Jesus, but I don't really know him. And you know what? Today, you can know Jesus. You can trust in him. You can have your sins forgiven. And you can start the journey of a worshiper. And that is the most amazing thing that happens. Because some people wonder, like, you know, we sung that song earlier, I will rise. And yeah, everyone is going to rise. And for those who know Jesus, they'll rise to be with him in heaven eternally. And some people kind of wondered, like, what's it going to be like in heaven? You ever wonder that? Well, one thing I know that's not going to be there, my foot isn't going to hurt in heaven. And Ann's back isn't going to hurt in heaven. And old Jim with his sports injuries, he's not going to hurt in heaven. He he says, I can't wait to get that new body, right? You know? But one thing that is going to happen is worship, because we are going to be in 
the presence of holy God. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to be with thousands and thousands of other people who are worshiping God. We're going to be, the angels are going to be, I don't know what, I've never seen an angel. I don't know what they look like, but they're going to be there. And when we rise, we're going to be worshiping. And so in a sense, God is preparing us right now on this earth to come and worship him to get ready for what we're going to be doing for all eternity. That is just such an amazing thing. So if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure I know Jesus. I may know about him, but I don't know if I've trusted in what he did on the cross. I would invite you after the service, come up, talk with me. I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. I want you to find so that you can leave today saying, thank you. I know Jesus and I have a relationship with him. That could start today. So in closing, God seeks all kinds of people to become worshipers. So what do I want you to do? Hey, guys, it's a new year. Remember how I said the John Piper quote, the gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ? Well, I would like you to do this. I would like you to intensify your desire for Jesus in this new year. I would like you to be a worshiper. And you know what? This needs to be done both individually on our own, but also corporately as a church. God seeks all kinds of people to become worshipers. So let's make worshiping God with great joy a priority in this new year. How's that sound? Could we do that?